Welcome to You've Gotta Taste This, the podcast where food people tell you about recipes that you've simply got to taste. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I've been writing about food for almost 20 years. I love to cook, and even more, I love to talk about cooking. So let's get started. My guest today is Nicole Rucker, an old friend of mine who was actually the very first guest on this podcast back when it was called Lunch Therapy. She's the owner of Fat and Flour in the Grand Central Market, where she sells incredible pies and cookies. And she's the author of an incredible baking book called Dappled, all about cooking with fruit. And speaking of cooking with fruit, here's the recipe that she sent me to try today. Hey, Adam, it's Nicole Rucker from Fat and Flour, and you've got to taste this. It's the uh, Silesian Heaven Crispy Pierogi Recipe from Zuza Zach's book, Pierogi. Uh, I hope you love it. Have fun. These pierogies that Nicole sent me to make were wild. They had dried fruit and pork in them, and they were a huge hit at a dinner party that I hosted. But I don't want to spoil too much. So here is my conversation with Nicole Rucker all about crispy pierogies. Hey, Nicole. Well, thanks for coming on my brand new podcast. You've got to taste this. You were my first guest on my original podcast, Lunch Therapy. And that's like, that was like 150 episodes ago. So <laughs> tell me everything that's happened to you since. Uh, I mean, that was like also 150 years ago. I know. Well, since then you've opened Fat and Flour. That was new. I mean, you had an open Fat and Flour when we were talking. Yeah. Yeah. The last time I saw you, I had just um, closed my restaurant, Fiona, Mm -hmm. and was in an in-between time, I think. Um, I think I had just closed it recently. Yeah. And for those who didn't listen to that episode, that's where I had my 40th birthday party, yeah, uh, which was so memorable and amazing. Uh, and then you you were like a phoenix rising from the ashes and opened <laughs> up in an amazing destination in the Grand Central Market. Yeah, we opened in um, December of 2019. Um, wow. And then uh, the pandemic started and we closed for a couple of months. Yes, I and forgot then, about that aspect of your opening. Forgot about that. <laughs> the pandemic. Yes, I forgot that we had a pandemic. Right, right, right. Yeah, we had a little thing happen, just a small thing. Um, and we closed for a couple of months and then we reopened and we've been in Grand Central Market ever since. Um, we just had our third anniversary there, which is uh really crazy to me. Yeah, um, Mazel Tov. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, and, it is. It's really good. I mean, we stayed open, so yes. that's good. Well, I think I think a lot of it must have had to do with the fact that people order your pies, right? Like you could deliver mm-hmm. pies, and like you don't you don't have yeah. to come there to get pies necessarily. Yeah, during the pandemic, we had a good a good steady flow, um, and we have such wonderful customers of people who would like drive up in front, and we would hand it off to them. Um, and I think in general, people were just like ordering a lot of stuff just to like help people stay open. Yeah. Um, and then now it's kind of like uh, not business as usual, but like a little bit more stabilized. And um, yeah, you can order for delivery. You can order for uh, pickup. You can order uh, two weeks in advance and, you know, plan your life. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just make like thousands of cookies every month. and. Wow hundreds of pies and um that's our daily life but what, what's it been like to go from like having nobody in the market to suddenly having like people packed in there again and having actual customers coming up to you does that feel good um well 
I think that, yes, it feels good. I think that um, for people like me who who were working, you know, the whole time and everybody in the market, um, the gradual return to like people coming in and coming up to you and like the different phases of um, safety precautions being stripped away. Right. Um, that was so gradual and slow that it it was uh, kind of like there was only one day where I was like, oh, God, I see people's faces now. And that's kind of weird. Yeah, um, I still feel that way a little bit. Like I just walked yeah. into a restaurant um, the other day and it had a sign like masks required. But when I mm. walked in that's uh, or it wasn't even a restaurant, this is actually embarrassing. I got I got a gig. Somebody emailed me yeah. from Spotify that they're doing a commercial and they wanted me to be like a chef in it. Yeah. And so I got this gig, but they wanted me to get a manicure and I've yeah. never had a manicure before. So I went to this oh, manicure place. Lovely. Thank you. And if you guys can't see, obviously, but my fingernails are glimmering with beauty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I walked in, it's a it mask required. But when I got in there, nobody was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like there's this weird. Someone just this... didn't take the sign down. Yeah, but I feel like we're in this weird space right now. Like I've gone to restaurants or like coffee shops, for example, like Dinosaur Coffee, where the people working there are still wearing masks, but yeah. people who are visiting there. So how do, how are you handling that? Um, we wear masks sometimes. Like if I'm going to be on the counter and, and directly facing customers on Saturday, I will wear a mask. If I'm back, you know, sort of to the side making coffees and not interacting face-to-face with customers as much, then I will take my mask off. Um, I think a lot of people wear like a lot of these cooks and these baristas, uh, at, at dinosaur, you know, they're actually wearing masks because they really can't afford to get sick anymore. And, and the, the money for that is not, is kind of dried up a little bit. So mm-hmm. I believe they removed mandatory COVID pay, uh, already, or they're about to, so your boss doesn't have to pay you for being sick with COVID anymore. Um, That's a fascinating window into why people are yeah. wearing masks at coffee shops. Well, wow. You know, it makes sense. Like nobody wants to get sick. No, nobody wants to. No, that. you don't want to get sick and you know, you don't want to lose money. So you're just protecting yourself. And I love it. I just reordered, like, I have like a hundred masks. I just reordered right now from my favorite mask company. Okay. And, um, you know, I will keep them on hand for whenever I feel like I need them. Well, um, I think that's a good idea. And as we transition now into our topic at hand, <laughs> I want you to know I did not wear a mask when I was making the pierogies that you sent me. <laughs> uh, I but... didn't wear a mask when I had a dinner party where we had the pierogies. Well, for those who are new to this podcast, um, the p- concept is I reached out to Nicole and I said, can you send me a recipe that you're passionate about? And you texted me back, not only with the recipe, but it- or the idea for a recipe, but the actual recipe in PDF format. So can you tell, <laughs> can you tell everyone what this recipe is and why you chose it? Um, first of all, in case you don't know on your phone in the, in the notes app, you can make anything into a PDF oh. by scanning it. And it takes up a lot less space on your phone. So if you see something in a magazine or a cookbook that you want to send to someone instead of taking like a high res picture, you can just go into your notes app and hit the camera button in the notes app. And if you have an iPhone, it will give you the option to scan in three different uh, color variations, full color, black and white, and then like low res black and white. 
And then you can text that to your friend and say, make this recipe. You've got to try this. Um, And it's not saved in your photo album, which is a very old. That's like for old people. You don't do that. Um, You said you got to try this. But the name of this podcast is you've got to taste this. You say that (laughs) that all over again. I'm so sorry. Uh, (laughs) You've got to taste. Well, what I'm saying is you have to try using your scanner in your I didn't know that existed. That's amazing. And I'm actually glad you told me that because I still download like weird scanners when I have yeah, to like scan. Yeah, you're paying them. for a scanner app that's like stealing your um uh, yeah, information. Identity. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. So you sent so... me this PDF that you got from yes. your notes app that you scanned. Mm-hmm. So this recipe is from a cookbook called Pierogi by a person named Souza Zach. I hope I'm saying that name right, but it looks like that's how you say it. Okay. Um. And sorry, my dog is in the room and she just snorted at me. Apologies. Um, that's okay. And it's a book that's just all about making pierogies. I am part of a cookbook club. This is our fourth year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so we took a little break during the pandemic, but um, 2022, we started coming back. And um, about once a month-ish, one person chooses a cookbook and they host. And so everybody has to bring a recipe from the cookbook. Um, that's where the notes app scanner comes in handy because if you're the holder of the cookbook you probably have to send a bunch of recipes um and the whole book is just different pierogies it was our december holiday uh cookbook club meeting so i wanted something that was going to be fun and i mean like not finger food but not everyone was going to like sit down for a full meal um and and are these uh, culinary professionals that are in this club or are they mostly hobbyists um you know some people are are art people like art agents and representatives and then um you know there's some podcasters and some writers really i'm a podcaster i have not received an invite into this cookbook club (laughs) we had well well it's gendered i'm sorry it's all women Um, (laughs) i know how antiquated um and it's uh you know like it's all different kinds of people and they're all different cooking levels there are some people in the cookbook club who are like truly nervous cooks but every time we have a cookbook club they end up bringing something and they're like wow i learned something new and then there's people like me who i'm like yeah i'll make pierogies on a sunday i don't i don't care i'll make two different kinds um because it's fun for me so But yeah, it's different for me because I work in food. It's actually uh, weird to cook from someone else's recipe by the letter. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's the point of the cookbook club is to really cook from these recipes like and to to stay true to what the recipe is as written. So then we can talk about like whether or not the book we thought was a good book or not a good book. That's really interesting because that's what I'm trying to do on this podcast when I make the recipes because normally I would riff, but because I want no people riffing. at home to make these recipes. However, mm-hmm. when you sent me this recipe, you did say you riffed because you said- I had to substitute, you... but I did stay within the rules written in the recipe because it says any dried fruit. So they're so for the, okay. Yeah. We have so to talk the... about what they are. Yeah. So <laughs> these pierogies, now I'll just say, I mean, I was fascinated when I read the recipe because it's basically like pork that you- Cook mm-hmm. it in butter until it's golden brown. That's so good. And then you add fruit, dried fruit that you've soaked in water. But not only that, you add wine and then you add yeah. some of the fruit liquid and yeah. then you cook that all together. Then you blend it into a filling and adjust the flavors 
with lemon juice and salt and pepper. So even just that filling, I mean, I could have just eaten that with a spoon. It's sort of, I think you yeah. said in your text to me that it's like pate or, mm-hmm. um, is that what you said? Something like yeah, it tastes yeah. very. It tastes like country pate to me. And it also yes. tastes like, you know, like one time I had dinner at your house and we had chicken liver mousse and like some sort of jam yeah. on the side. And, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of that. Um, because and it was so it was good when like I made the it. Dark and... fried for, yeah, it was so delicious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just the like taste of the meat with like dried fruit. It feels very holiday. And um, I mean, the copious amounts of butter involved in yes. enjoying pierogi is makes it very uh, humbly celebratory, I think, because you're thinking like, oh, it's just like putting butter all over everything. And that is true. But, you know, it's <laughs> like poor man's lobster is a pierogi. Oh, that's good. But I thought, I thought that recipe was like a perfect Nicole Rucker savory Mm. recipe because it has fruit in it, it, but not only that, it has like a dough that surrounds the fruit. I am who I am. Pie maker extraordinaire. Well, um, but what I loved about this, so I served this at a dinner party actually, and Mm. I made a bunch of pierogies and I actually had more than I could even serve. So uh, I had more filling than I could serve. So the next day I made more um, dough and I used the rest of the filling. But what I did was I, I made all the pierogies. I put them in the refrigerator as you suggested. And then I um, got a big pot and I boiled them all at once. And I got a giant skillet and I put in like a ton of butter. And then I lifted the pierogies into the skillet oh. once they floated. And I tossed them all together. And I brought that to the table with all the like sesame seeds over it, And people mm-hmm. went nuts. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's just really such a beautiful, like that sounds like a beautiful presentation. It just, I don't know, something about that style of food and the way that it's presented feels very like romantic. Yes, it was. And- old school and like it, I don't know it just was like oh like it kind of is like as sexy as like a really good roast chicken I think uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean because of I think maybe the butter involved but the garnish of sesame seeds was also very nice I think well dare I but say that nice you recipe. also but you also have I mean with pie and with pierogi you have like the idea of like a package and like a surprise gift inside, like, because mm-hmm. as, as we know, with your pies, like you have interesting flavor combinations or things you don't know what to expect. And then like with this, it's like, is there meat in here? Is there cabbage oh. in here? And that's like, whoa, there's fruit and meat. I did not see that coming. Did anyone at your dinner party feel averse to the fruit with meat combo? No, not at all. No, if, if anyone was averse to it, it was me because in the past, I've made stews with dried fruit and I don't know why, but they've gotten me sick. Ooh. And I, I wonder if it's because like when you put the dried fruit in the stew, it like absorbs all the fat. Cause sometimes if I have like too mm-hmm. much, like if I consume too much fat and just, even though I love cooking with fat, I can, yeah. I can get a little ill from it. So I wonder yeah. if that's why, but this Maybe. time it was perfect. Um, so, okay. So you were in the cookbook club, you were making pierogies, yeah. but sidebar question, mm-hmm. do you have any col- cultural connection to, or history with, um, pierogies in general? No, no, I don't. My family is uh, Mexican native American and my dad wa- is half Irish and half Mexican. So okay. no, no pierogies, but every culture has, uh, you know, a dumpling, a ravioli, or a packaged food thing that's like a dough wrapped around something. What's the Mexican um, version of that? Tamales. 
well, there is a tamale and then like in other parts of that, uh, you know, neighboring cultures, there's empanadas, there's, um, well, there's all kinds of little, little things that you can make. I forget, uh, you know, pupusa is like a oh, yeah. wrap, something wrapped inside of something. It's just like all different shapes. I would say a, a pupusa is sort of like a dumpling. It's just like the texture of the dough is differently. And then you cook the pupusa griddled instead of boiling. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's all kinds of variations on that. Packaged so items. So when you're when you're handling a dough like a pierogi dough, it, it, does your like sense of feel take over? Like like can you does your body immediately recognize? Okay, this is a different kind of dough than pie dough. This is different yeah. than bread dough. Like, but where does that come from? I think that the pierogi dough feels more like um, extra soft uh, pasta dough. You've made mm -hmm. pasta before. Did yeah, you yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, it, it was a really lovely dough because it had the butter in it too. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's a real pretty. pleasure. Um, it also reminds me of strudel dough, um, which is very similar. Uh, I think like for me, the recipe, I had more filling than uh, dough, excuse me. And I think that's because um, the dough can get rolled out into like varying thickness. And so, you know, I think maybe making pierogies could be a little bit scary because if you don't get them thick enough, then you have like a big dough ball or thin enough, then you have a big dough ball um, that you're eating. So on the second batch that I made, I rolled it a lot thinner um, mm. and got use of most of the filling. At that I wonder time. if you would have thought that mine were too doughy because I, I, I looked at them when you posted them on your Instagram and I didn't think that they were too doughy. I you know, I, you told me that you had extra filling and I was thinking like, yeah, he might not have rolled them thin enough, but I also think like in terms of, um, comfortability, like once yeah. you make, if you made that again, I think next time, cause they looked really nice. And I think maybe next time they would probably be slightly thinner. Don't you think? I do think so. More, more comfortable with it. Well, also, like, I, we weren't sure. I was doing this with a friend, and we weren't sure what size cutter to use. Oh, like, yeah. Like, how many inches across. And so yeah. we ended up using, I want to say, like, maybe three inches. No, that, that would be too small. Like, four to five inch I don't. Cutter. I don't want to, like, speak ill of the book. Because uh -oh. um, I really like the book, and I think it's a beautiful book. Um, but it definitely is not for a novice. Mm-hmm. And so I think some items like that would be helpful to have like, you know, this is how many pierogies this is going to make and how, how many, um, you know, how, what size the cutter is going to be, but there's a lot of like open to interpretation yeah. stuff in there. Um, and some of the people in our cookbook club felt a little bit lost by that. And one person abandoned their project. <gasps> Whoa, who is that? We should have them on and have an intervention because that is not you cool. <laughs> no, she had to. She tried it twice and uh, she was texting us, you know, in the group. And she said, I tried it twice, but I'm just wasting money at this point. And um, uh, I can't I can't figure it out. And so she brought caviar and weenies <laughs> and wow, good, and good move. Fun. That's a yeah. good save. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, like I agree that that the book didn't because I also asked you to send me the page about making the pierogies, mm -hmm. and I just think because I've made pasta before and because I've made dumplings before, mm -hmm. um, I, I intuitively sensed that like once I cut the circle and I put the filling in, mm -hmm. that I just want to pinch it closed so that mm -hmm. it doesn't explode. 
but uh, generally yeah. speaking, it, it was just like a circle shape that became a half moon. Uh-huh. And and then I kind of tried to crimp it a little. I don't know if you noticed, but like I tried to do like a little yeah. pie crusty thing on it. Um, yeah. But that was a little, you know, that was a little fanciful. I think that me. looked nice. I mean, and there's there's different pages of that book that show like different decorative styles of the pierogies. Mm-hmm. I just think like, um, you know, I would like a little bit more handholding uh, in the process and I'm an expert. Now, when you're in your, uh, when you're in the cookbook club, and you're in the kitchen with the fellow cookbook club members and you see somebody screwing something up. Like you can see like they're doing something really stupid. No, Do you say anything? <laughs> I mean, but like you see somebody like well, pouring well, like rum from cook, an open bottle into the op- open We flame. mostly cook independently at our own, at our own houses and then bring it over. And what about, like, okay, what about feedback though? Um, I, it's not that kind of a group. Like um, everyone comes to the table. It's, it sounds so nice and it is really nice, but everyone comes to the table with like, this is the recipe. Here's the things I really liked about it. Here's the things I had problems with. And then what do you guys think? Like how, what, what do you think the problem was, you know? And then we kind of analyze it or someone will say like, oh, I looked at that recipe and, and it seemed like it was difficult in this way, or I didn't understand this. And that's why I didn't choose it. So um, we really put the books through the ringer in that way because there's at times there's 15 people and so like 15 recipes from one book is a lot but what about seasoning because like for example mm-hmm. as a as a, a seasoned chef yourself mm-hmm. um you have a good sense of how much salt to add but if you're really following these recipes i would imagine if they say like half a teaspoon of salt. i mean i've read recipes before where it's like make a pot of soup and add a half a teaspoon of salt and i'm like what are you talking about like i'll end up adding like six tablespoons before it tastes good yeah i mean i think that's um i don't consider that to be editing the recipe Mm. seasoning to taste is uh is about you right so but what about you your know, cookbook club members? Like, are, are there ones who... to their, to okay. their taste, you know, and sometimes I don't think anyone grossly under seasons or over, there's a median level of salt. I think that everyone adheres to, but yeah, you know, salt and pepper are like very rarely if we have a recipe that everybody's just like, oh, this is really flat, you know, like, oh yeah, we should add this and this to it. And then we make it our own. I don't think that's a problem. And I mm-hmm. don't think that that's a, necessarily a knock to the to the author I guess having written a cookbook and you have two a couple of them right like do you have a problem with that when someone's like you know what I really thought this needed more salt and I'm like so put more salt in it oh of course I want them to to taste you know I think that's that's, yeah. that's actually a real issue I have with people on the internet who are like who are like this recipe didn't work like I, I did it and it was very disappointing mm-hmm. it's like well did you actually taste it and adjust it so I totally get yeah. that um yeah. So I'm curious in your cookbook club, was there one cookbook that was like the winner, like in terms of like every recipe was a banger and everybody was like, that um, was amazing. It blew our minds. You know, we've had a couple because we've been doing this for four years. We have had a couple memorable books that really stand out. Um, the Zuni Cafe book. Of course. Yeah. We did for a holiday. Those recipes were airtight good Russ everyone made delicious food Um, I actually haven't cooked from it as much as I've read through it but was there a dish from it that you remember being particularly well the chicken recipe you could just make the chicken recipe and then you know you'd be happy and I think it's a it's a great it's a well-written recipe it has enough information um Indian-ish 
was a really good cookbook uh-huh. club. That was a very, everything that everyone made from that book was super tasty and um, everyone was really pleased with it. Um, we, my dog is like scratching. Can you hear that? <laughs> we'll She's interview like your dog next. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. My dog is sleeping in a chair right hey, now. Can you stop it, please? Um, both of Alice and Roman's uh, cookbooks were very good cookbook clubs very fun and I think for the for the new cooks or for the less experienced cooks in the group um they had a really good time cooking from those books and then for the more experienced cooks in the group like we were like yeah this this is delicious salt and olive oil tastes good you know like yeah she's good I mean my friends Ryan who you know and Jonathan uh, his partner Jonathan's just started cooking a bunch Mm -hmm. and he's really into making Alice and Roman recipes and my husband loves to cook from Alice's recipes and so does my mother-in-law and I think the crossover and the range of those recipes is massive when you have when you have like my husband who's in his forties and his mother-in-law, I mean, his mom, you know, <laughs> both cooking from the same book. Yes. I think that's like, that's range right there. I watched her make a matzo ball soup on her YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. I was like, kind of amazed at how, like, there were so many things that she did that I was like, I would, I ne- I mean, I'm Jewish. And like, I've never seen never someone. Heard of that. Well, no, Is no. Allison Jewish? I don't know if she's Jewish, but I've never seen anyone take matzo, actual matzo and smash it. And use that as the matzo meal to make the matzo balls that went into her <laughs> soup. But that's what she does. And I was like, oh, like matzo balls really come from matzo. Like that was news to me. That's I had so no funny idea. That you didn't think of that. I never thought would think of that. Wow. And then she also made like a broth that was so concentrated. I was like kind of shocked. Like, because when I go to the farmer's market and I buy like a chicken, I usually get from the chicken guy like a soup chicken, like a one that I wouldn't roast, but one that I put in a soup. And I'll put it in a giant stock pot with like carrots, onions, and celery. But I'll make like a ton of stock and then stupidly put it in glass jars and put that in my freezer and it will explode, which is what just happened to me recently. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when she did hers for the soup, she took like a little Dutch oven and put like a whole chicken in it, like all these vegetables and just the smallest amount of liquid. And then I'm sure that was the most like potent concentrated mm. chicken soup with those matzo. So I was very impressed. So I am not shocked to hear that's a big success. But now, Nicole, yeah. we, I want to pull back a little because I want to, I, mean, I feel like we're very much focused here on recipes in your cookbook club. But mm-hmm. I want to ask you just in general, when you're cooking at home versus when you're cooking at work, like what are, what are the differences and what kind of things do you make for yourself or your, mm. you and your husband? Well, at work, I'm mainly making cookies and, and pies. And to be honest, these days, I'm mostly like talking to someone else about making it. And then I go do something else, like work the <laughs> register or make cookies right. for people because I have to do those jobs. But um, at home, you know, we eat a lot, a wide array of things, whatever I feel like getting into. Sometimes, um, like a couple of weeks ago, when we had Christmas, I made um, a Peking duck. And oh, it came out so great. And then I had the duck and I made that into broth. And then um, a couple of nights later, I made ramen. I used store-bought noodles, but I made like a tasty ramen broth with the duck stock. And Yum. You know, like some days I'll do stuff like that. We always have chicken stock and, and homemade, homemade chicken stock in our freezer and things like that. But then you know, most nights I will do, um, 
broiled things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I love to make just like broiled chicken thighs with different spice blends on them. I'm really addicted to these spice blends from Oaktown Spices in the Bay Area. And they have a couple different blends and I have I have all the good ones. Okay, what's your favorite? And depending on depending on what I feel like veering the meal towards, I will choose one. Like one of the my favorite blends is Persian lime curry. And yeah. it's like a it's like a very addictive, like sour curry flavor, um, peppery curry. And I just toss chicken thighs and olive oil and a bunch of that stuff and then broil it with onions and bell peppers and eat that with like some salad. And when you broil um, it, like how close to the broiler is it? And are you moving it around or are you just leaving it and letting it get crispy? Um, in my oven, I have it like uh, in the top third of the oven. Okay. So it's not right up against the broiler, but it is, you know, within like five inches of it. Um, I do the chicken first. I always line pan with tinfoil. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to clean it. Um, I don't want to have to scrub it. So I put the chicken on there and I put that in first, you know, for as long as it takes for the chicken to get like some color and like browning. And then I take it out and I flip it over. And at that point I add all the vegetables. So onions and peppers or um, Brussels sprouts or broccoli or whatever vegetable is going to go in there. And I'll put that on the sheet tray for the second half. And the, the chicken is mostly cooked by then. So and you're it broiling all those vegetables too, like broccoli. You can broil broccoli. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't just like, I mean, I've baked broccoli and roasted broccoli, but I've never like yeah. shot it under a flame. It cooks so fast. Really? It's like, it's like, I mean, this is like literally making food in 20 minutes. This is your next cookbook. And I would write a cookbook about broiler cooking. And it, um, a lot of my friends know I love, I love, a, I love a well-crafted spice blend and I really love broiler broiler meals um but that's going to come in handy because i think people are getting upset now or people are up in arms some people i'm not but about the whole gas stove thing <laughs> so if, uh, if you can't use your gas stove it's like people are going to turn to their broilers and your cookbook is going to fly off the shelves because people are going to be like first no- of all i don't think i don't i think it's going to be a long time before they outlaw actually outlaw gas and i don't think it'll happen really and no one's coming to your house and ripping out your gas lines. No, they it would happened have to, to me. It just happened. These guys no. came over and they stole all my gas burnt. I'm no, just kidding. Um, well, it's funny. Oh my like, gosh. Until I understood, until I understood the like politics of it's it. It's all politics. Did you listen to that uh, sporkful episode about no. the gas? What did they say? I, I mean, I'm familiar with that uh, podcast. It's not as popular as mine, but I, I should it's check all, it out. It's all political. You should listen to it, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's electric broilers. It doesn't matter. Or you could just turn your oven up to like uh, to 450. I just like the broiler because it makes me feel like I'm grilling. But if there's only two people eating dinner, grilling feels like a waste and mm-hmm. um, bad for the environment. Yeah, <laughs> I really like grilled foods. So I could eat broiler uh, chicken three to four nights a week and be very happy you know, cause I vary the seasonings and then like what I'm going to eat it with. So it's not like the same thing over and over again, but, um, you know, I don't want to start a fire every time. Pretty lazy. Yeah. Don't start just a fire. want to make the food. So in the terms food of in. Like, but in terms of like your, um, baking self that bakes mm-hmm. all day at work, like, do you ever come home and want to bake? 
Oh, all the time. I think I have been home for a week because I burned myself. Oh yeah. I'm so sorry. I should have asked you about that right out of the gate. Cause you told me that last week and I totally forgot. Yeah. Are you okay? I am okay. I poured a cup of hot, uh, freshly boiled water on my lap. So it's all over my legs. They're burned. How did that um, happen? I was being dumb at home and I put uh, hot water in an insulated cup, which gave me a false sense of security because I couldn't feel the heat of the, of the cup. And then I went, went to like watch a movie in bed and I don't know why I would do this. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think I've ever done this before, but I set the insulated mug down on my bed um... and then it just spilled. It was just a dumb thing. And it spilled all over my legs. And um, yeah, I got I'm really sorry. badly burned. It's okay. You know what's cool about this is that, do you know how you heal a burn? This is very mm -hmm. appropriate for us. Okay, so I got burned. And then I was like, maybe it's going to be fine. And then, so I put cool water on it. And I couldn't really feel it at first. But then after 20 minutes passed, I was like in excruciating pain. And I went uh -huh. to hospital. Because if you burn yourself larger than three inches, you should go to the hospital. That's I didn't know that. Yes. If the burn is bigger than three inches, you should go to the ER. So I went to the ER and they sent me to the burn center because it was like both of my legs were burned. Oh my God. And once you get through all of that stuff, how do you heal a burn? What do you do? So they wrap you with all of these bandages that have like silver, colloidal silver in them. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that's the magic thing. Like, that's the patch. Like, they put this and then that does something like, right? That's how you heal. That's not how you heal yourself. So every time I went to the doctor for my checkups this past seven days, they were like, you need to eat a lot. You need to be eating a lot of food. I love that. I'm going to burn myself right now. That's the best <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I was just like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean? You know, like, I've never heard that before at the doctor. But they were like, you got to eat a lot of food. You need to eat a lot of snacks. You got to eat nuts and meat and cheese and a lot of eggs every two and a half hours or so. We need to have you snacking. And I was just kind of like, what is the purpose of this? That's very odd. But it turns out your body needs all of those calories and that protein in order to grow new skin cells. I feel like at least one of our listeners is going to burn themselves right now. On no, purpose. do not do that to yourself. But <laughs> Isn't that magical that that's I love like, that. What a great diagnosis. Yeah. I once um was cooking barefoot, which is not oh, smart. Right, One yeah. should not do that. This is early yeah. in my career. And I was like boiling like pasta in a giant like Dutch oven or stock pot. And when I went to the sink to strain it into a strainer, I kind of just like jumped the whole thing in and like a tidal wave of boiling water washed over onto my feet. And no. it just like singed my feet. This is like 10 or 15 years ago. So I'm okay now. But if I had known then what I know now, I would have just been snacking and snacking and snacking. You have to eat a lot. Like, like I'm eating. So I'm eating like rotisserie chicken, like the rock. Yeah. And you know what? My skin is growing. back. <laughs> it's, it works. It totally Did you see works. That, um, David Chang just put down Costco rotisserie chicken. It's a big controversy. I mean, do we, you shouldn't even say his name out loud. He's like Voldemort. We shouldn't talk about him. <laughs> we, wow, don't, okay. we, don't, we don't mention that. No. We don't mention that person's name. After they come to take my gas stove away, the David, David Chang gang is going to come over and beat me up. So they have to be very careful here. Um, well, okay. So Nicole, so you cook at home. You like, but you were saying you like to bake. So what I do, do you like bake? to bake. Um, 
And this is maybe like something I'm I'm hoping to write a cookbook about later, but the way that I bake at home is very different from how I bake at work. Um, I really look for something I can do quickly um, and stuff that's like really effortless and easy. I do make a lot of cookies. Uh, I'm a lifelong devoted lover of banana bread and yes, I won't eat banana too. bread. I don't care if it's cheesy. I will make banana bread as much as I possibly can. It's the greatest, greatest loaf. But do you have hacks? Like what are your banana bread hacks? Okay. So yes, I have hacks for all this stuff. My main thing is that I don't cream any butter for any recipe ever at my house. That will okay. not be something I will be doing. I prefer to do reverse creaming for everything, including chocolate chip cookies. What's reverse think, creaming? So that is when you mix the fat with the flour and the sugar, sort of like how you're making pie dough. So if you're the beginning part of pie dough where you're like rubbing everything in, um, the butter into the flour. I will do that in the mixer with cold butter and the brown sugar and the white sugar and the flour for a cookie recipe until it's sandy. And then I'll add the eggs and vanilla and continue on with the recipe. And then you don't have to scrape down the bowl. You don't have to wait for butter to temper. Wait, I don't believe this is a possible Dude, thing. It so is 100% possible. You pinch in the, the butter into the cookie dough. You and don't then even have to pinch it. Like if you have a stand mixer, you you measure the flour and the sugar and the um the butter yes. into the mixer. Start it with the paddle on low until it's sandy beach texture like pie dough. Okay. After that point, it's sandy beach texture. Add the rest of the stuff. Add the eggs and the vanilla and the chocolate chips or whatever it is and mix it and it turns into cookie dough. But wait, okay. I thought you wanted to do this to avoid making a mess in your stand mixer. But if you're using your stand mixer anyway, what is the disadvantage to creaming the butter and sugar first? Um, It's not to avoid using my stand mixer. I don't mind using my stand mixer and like and uh, cleaning a bowl. That's not a problem for me. Um, I just don't like waiting. And if I'm going to make butter, if I'm going to make something like cookies, you know, it could be like nine o'clock at night. And then I decide that I'm going to do something really nice and make cookies for everyone in my house. I'm not going to like do the microwave trick with the melting of the butter and then like put the half in and make it. I just don't want to mess with any of that stuff. I think that they come out better with this way. Really? Isn't so is it is the idea that like the butter the butter that gets worked in like creates pockets of steam and so like you get that kind of like flakiness? It doesn't turn flaky, but it is very tender. Um, and I think it's just kind of like a I think the texture of it is more like a classic texture instead of these like uh, chewy like you know extra thin and crunchy cookies that are popular um i think it's just a little bit more like 1990s in <laughs> 1990s cookie i have no idea what that means but I, i'll just go along you know, with like, it. like in the 90s in your school cafeteria okay um, okay I, you know I, it's I, a, it's like a they this is how they mix cookies in like mass production they're not they're not cream and butter for like a ten thousand cookie batch but the philosophy behind creaming butter is to get air into the butter yeah, and aeration. sugar. So you're doing aeration and you're, um, so that's going to create a little bit of like leavening by aeration, but that's not really 
necessary anymore because we have baking soda and baking powder. So why do we need to beat the crap out of butter? Mm, that's because we point. have chemicals. I see. So, so, that, that, so the only reason you cream the butter and sugar first is to create aeration, but you don't need to do that. Well, the creaming of the butter and sugar does create aeration and like disperses the sugar evenly. Um, but it's not like required. That's okay. not that's not like how the cake is made. It doesn't have to be. So I'm going to try this. This is another right. you've got to taste this moment. Um, I'm I gonna almost reverse... sent you that as a recipe. Really? OK, I'll yeah. do that later. Mm -hmm. um, but wait, wait, what is I going to say? Oh, because banana bread back to banana bread. What is mm -hmm. your secret to banana bread? Oh, so I have like 20 different banana bread recipes. Um, so there's all kinds of different, uh, different, it depends on how I'm feeling. Um, I like to do a little bit of alcohol. I don't, I'm not a big drinker, but I like the umami of alcohol and the, the complexity to it. You guys can't see her right now, but she's drinking whiskey with a straw straight. From the <laughs> it's like a full, <laughs> a full handle of vodka on my desk. Yes. No, it's not. Um, I like to add a little bit of whiskey to the bananas, actually. Um, I think that adds a really nice flavor. Um, you know, changing up the spices a little bit. There's this one recipe I like from Australia that puts, um, he puts other fruits in his banana bread. And I think it's really interesting. I believe he puts apricots in, which is very okay. strange I sometimes. Oh no, it's dried figs. That kind of seems like that. double overkill, but it actually tastes really great and tropical. Um, I don't know. I could I could riff on banana bread any day of the week. What about tahini or miso? Because I've done both, and I oh, you're shaking your head now. I like I thought those were game changers. Like miso banana bread or tahini banana banana bread was just like wow. I had no idea this was possible. I love tahini. Um, mm. I think that you have to be careful when you're adding tahini because it can be like peanut butter and it can make yes. things dry. Oh, okay. And I think that we might need to expand our understanding of sesame and branch out into other sesame products. Like why not toasted sesame oil in with the butter instead of tahini? And then you don't add them. I mean, that's the same flavor. But that's a fat. That's like a, yeah, you're getting, you're getting moisture from that. fat too. Yeah, but I'm saying you were saying it would get dry. So I'm saying with the oil is that your solution is that it's going to keep it moisture. Well, I just think it's like, it's slightly different than tahini, you know, and like tahinis vary so much. It's like, like Trader Joe's tahini versus Whole Foods tahini, you know, three, six, five. Soom. I like soon. Yeah, that's soom. a great one. Yeah. Um, You know, I also think like maybe instead of adding tahini, add, some chunks of um halva instead oh i love that idea uh i think that's more exciting um yes yeah, so i don't know yeah. so the tahini craze i do love it i love the flavor of it um but i have not added it to banana bread in a long time you will not catch me adding miso to a baked good in 2023 i'm sorry <laughs> that's the sound bite for today's episode <laughs> Um, wait, I have to tell you something that I once did. I once was following Nancy Silverton's recipe for banana bread and she has a decorative garnish on top where yeah. you slice the banana vertically and then you lay it on top. But mm -hmm. when I did it, um, I kind of did it so that it's hard to describe what it looked like. It was like half the banana was curving in one way and it was meeting the other. It was like the letter C and the letter D connecting. It's like top. a vagina, you mean? A hundred percent. Like I did that. And I took a very like beautiful picture of it and I put it on my Instagram or wherever it was at the time. And everyone was like, 
nice <laughs> vagina, Brad. That's a beautiful vagina. And I was like, what? Because what I'm you know about vaginas. Yeah, I'm a gold star gay. Are you kidding? Like, I have <laughs> no idea what that, that is. I didn't even know those existed. Um, so <laughs> in terms of flourishes, do you ever do like like a garnish like that or anything? You're very, you're very like just you know, simple, rustic. No, yeah, no fancy I like something banana on top. Um, I definitely prefer like uh, strips. I try, you know, I try not to do anything that's going to like sink um, or anything that's, you know, if you're going to put the banana on top of the banana has to be like perfectly ripe because even if it's a little bit underripe, once it's on the top of the bread, it's going to get chewy. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you get that like slightly underripe banana on the surface, whereas you could hide that inside the banana bread because it's all mashed up but like on the surface is just going to bake like dry. Yeah. And I um, actually was just thinking um, that you wrote a cookbook called Dappled by Nicole Rucker. And isn't there a recipe in that book for fermented banana? There bread? is. Yeah. There's a fermented banana bread. Um, it's really fun. That's like, so, you know, I think if you're willing to try miso in your banana bread, why not just try fermenting the bananas for a few days instead? Tell us more about that. So do you get, do you wait till they get black before you ferment or do you? So like do you, you like get like a ripe banana, you know, it has brown spots on it. You mash it up with a tiny bit of sugar and you leave it in like a jar or a Tupperware on your counter with like a towel over it. And it very quickly turns into fizzy, like oh, in the summer, this can happen over the course of 24 hours if it's hot. And it starts to make like, uh, you know, fizzy, foamy, fermented stuff. Um, it smells like a Belgian beer. That's crazy. Now, in the live. past, like, this is a very modern thing, because I feel like in the past, people would smell that, like, oh, I got to throw this out. Something happened to these bananas. But like, yeah. <laughs> no, now, it's now it's like very in vogue to do this. But like, when you put this in your it's book, so like, does your editor say, like, Nicole, we're a little concerned, like, people are going to get sick from this banana? Not uh, at all. Banana. No, 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 no. It's actually good for your gut, right? To have fermented foods. Yeah, it is. No, they didn't say anything of the, they didn't say, they didn't say anything to me about that. Um, you know, I think people were intrigued by that. And I think if you're looking through my book, that's definitely one of my favorite recipes because it's, you know, it's something different and it, it shows you how much the flavor of a, a banana can change because a ripe banana has an overripe banana has like a, not a great taste. It's just sweet. And it's really sweet in this specific way that is very cloying, mm -hmm. but a banana is a tropical food fruit. And so when you ferment it, it gains back some of that tropical um, aroma and flavor. So it makes the resulting bread taste more banana-y. So maybe that it's fig sweet. one would be a good combination with the fermented one because it's yeah. all tropical. Yeah. But don't no, add miso in 2023. Don't add 20, no miso. <laughs> I think New York Times just printed a recipe for miso banana bread and someone sent it to me and it looks like a very nice recipe, but I was like, no, I'm not making that. I but is this like, okay, but like, just to ask, like, because the tahini trend and the miso mm -hmm. and baked goods trend, like, yes, it's a trend, but mm -hmm. like from my, you know, simple minded experience of just tasting what it tastes like to have those things in baked good, like they are surprisingly yummy. Like it's they not are like so good. I think they're great. I love miso. I think it tastes wonderful. 
I think the best use of it in a, in a recipe that I've seen that's a sweet recipe is usually when it's combined with like dates. I think there's a miso date cookie recipe in one of the new cookbooks from, from last year that looked really good. That sounds really good. Um, but you know, it also, it's, if it, I guess it depends on like what kind of miso and where you're putting it there. If it's a replacement for salt, I don't think it does the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I love miso soup and I love miso in other applications. I was going to tweet once. I, I was like, I just found the craziest way to use miso. I tried it in a soup. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's also sort of like, it's like, it is definitely a trend, but that's a long holding trend that yeah. miso in baked goods. It's been around for five or six years. Now I saw that um, Eric Kim from the New York Times, who's been on this podcast, made a cookie recently that had Korean chili paste in the cookie. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. Now, have you um, ever cooked with that before? I mean, like a chili, chili paste in um, savory. I'm sorry. It's a sweet item that you've baked. No, I haven't. Um, I don't think that that I, that flavor profile sounds craveable to me. Um, but I understand why people would be intrigued by it. I love Korean chili paste. I love the flavor of it in savory and even like sauces where it borders on sweet. Yeah. But it's um, gochujang, right? Is that what it's Yeah. Called? And you know, when it's mixed with a little bit of something sweet and then it's on, you know, vegetables or meat or something like that, it tastes great to me. Um, little, a little I'm goes a long way. Was, I've learned does. that. Yeah. Did you make that cookie recipe? No, I was similar to you. I was like trying to do the, like, you know, it's like when I read music on a page and I try to imagine what it sounds like in my head. Like, it's like the same thing with a recipe. Like I, I'll read like a recipe and try to imagine what I think that's going to taste like. And I couldn't wrap my head around that one. I was like, what mm-hmm. would that taste? I guess I, I was thinking it would taste like kind of that deep, like caramelized chili like that mm. part of it sounded good but then the spicy like savory part of it sounded a little weird to me like almost like putting ketchup in a cookie that's so interesting um I wonder what putting ketchup in a sweet baked good would do uh, wow. this is going to launch your your next million dollar um, idea but you know it's like people putting mayonnaise in the in a chocolate cake maybe it does something great you know you never know until you yeah. try right I think that the uh the chili paste in um, in a sweet application sounds like it would be great for a brownie. Oh, that's so smart. You should write um, Eric Kim a letter and say, <laughs> I am a reader of the New York Times. And I think, no, me, that, sir, can you rewrite great. your recipe and put it in a brownie instead? Um, I don't know. I like that because I think chili and chocolate is an established uh, flavor yes. combination. So that seems had, like it could be cool. I'm not opposed to it. I just didn't feel drawn to that cookie in the way that's that, fine. You know, yeah. You're being honest. I um had a funny experience the other day, which is that I made Alice Medrich's Medrich's. Mm-hmm. I pronounced her name wrong and said Medrich on my thingy, but it's Medrich. Um, but it's like you bloom the cocoa powder like in a in a double boiler with um butter, and then you it's like a whole elaborate thing. And I made the brownies, they were so good. I used Valverona chocolate and mm-hmm. um and then I just went to Craig's uncle's uh, house for dinner and he made brownies. And I was like, these are amazing. Like, what, what, what recipe is this? And he's like, they're cost, Costco um, like mix. Yeah, and which is was, the gear. That's the gear deli uh, brownie mix, I believe. Rebranded oh, yeah. Costco. Yeah. And I was like, this great, honestly, great I, hope, 
I hope Alice Metrics isn't listening to this, but they were just as good. I mean, truly, like <laughs> I was eating it. I was like, these are divine. Like these are amazingly delicious. Like, how, like I, I was ready for him to be like, this is a recipe I found in an old New York Times cookbook. It was like, no, this is from Costco. I mean, sometimes those things are nice, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I, it's like uh, recently they just published, um, like you asked me what I would make for dessert at my house. Um, yes. I really like using instant pudding. Uh, and I think you can make instant pudding into lots of different flavors and there's nothing, there's really nothing wrong with it as a product is just starch and um, sugar combined in a perfect ratio so like that's great that's just like well, walk us through like walk us through a nicole rucker instant pudding night <laughs> well recently i um and i made a video of it i made a reel about it but i made butterscotch pudding and i just you know i made caramel from scratch like or butterscotch from scratch you know on the stove and it was like nice and dark and you know beautiful and then I made um, instant vanilla pudding with regular milk. I added extra salt. I added some really nice vanilla bean paste. Um, so I took the vanilla pudding and I embellished it heavily. And then I added the butterscotch sauce to the pudding while it was thickening so that it um, became butterscotch pudding. And then I put a layer of the rest of the butterscotch on top. And you would not really have been able to tell that it wasn't a budino. That's brilliant. That's a great. Hack. And you didn't have to cook anything but the caramel. And I suppose if you wanted to buy some butterscotch off the shelf, you could. And then you wouldn't have to heat up anything because instant pudding mix doesn't even require the milk to be hot and there's no eggs involved. It's so cheap. And it's like, oh, I, you know, if you make if you make chocolate ganache, even if you just did it with bloomed cocoa powder, like if you did the blooming process for cocoa powder, maybe added a little bit extra sugar and then whisked that into instant vanilla pudding, then you'd have chocolate pudding. But what if you added miso to it? I mean, you could do that. <laughs> well, Nicole, this podcast, <laughs> this, has, this has flown by as our conversations often do. But um, with my new format called You've Got to Taste This, I start every episode by talking about something that you told me to taste that was amazing. But I'm curious, what was the last thing that you tasted, um, whether it was at a restaurant or at home or um, at someone else's house that blew you away? What was your most recent, you've got to taste this moment? That's so difficult to answer. It I... could just be an impulsive, like the first thing that comes to your head that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe how good that was when I went to, for example, um, Key Spaca and had their um, meat sauce. Mm -mm. <laughs> okay. Or, um, I mean, we eat so much good stuff. It's so hard to like, I would say, you know what? One of the things was on Christmas day when I was making Peking duck, my friend Sean came to help me make the duck. Um, and we were going to have Chinese broccoli as a side. And he made like a little sauce out of various sauces in my cabinet. But the way he cooked the broccoli is something that will never leave my my house. Is the He put it in a Ziploc bag, closed the Ziploc bag, poked a hole in it, and microwaved it for two minutes. Really? Man, 
perfect steamed broccoli every time. Every time. Wait, but wait, what do you mean it will never leave your house? Like I I will never not make broccoli that way. Oh, I see. So you take a Ziploc bag, you put can yeah. it work with like regular broccoli too, or only Chinese yeah, broccoli? Regular broccoli. We did it um a couple of nights ago with regular broccoli. But you put more do you put any liquid in there or it's just rinse the broccoli? the broccoli off with, with some water and then like put it in the bag wet and poke a little hole in it and you microwave it for two minutes and then you check it and you microwave it for a minute more or, or whatever, and then you have but would plastic broccoli. averse people be like, that's so bad for you because like the plastic is melting into your broccoli? It's not melting at all. Um, it doesn't melt. If you were averse to plastic, then maybe you should buy one of the microwavable dishes from he who shall not be named. Um, I bought that. and I Is it good? Do you like I it? I don't ever use it. It's No. Like, <laughs> it's hidden use away. it to like make some broccoli. I don't really understand it. The, the lid doesn't really like come on and off doesn't easily. It? Oh, I feel terrible so saying cool. that because they, they reached out to me. They're like, thank you so much. Can we send you more products? And I was like, no, oh, thank you. Tell them to send it to me instead. Okay. I would like to try it. Um, but in terms of like tasting, you know, we went to, I really miss um, Beverly Soon Tofu in yeah. Korea. I miss them. They closed. But we went to um, another Korean barbecue place that is called let me look it up so because i get them mixed up often um oh, sorry that's okay we can cut this part out okay, although that's really gonna oh, yeah. be a lot so of work we went to chosan galbi and we usually just get uh, barbecue there but because it was a nice freezing cold night i got the um tofu stew that they serve there and i was really pleasantly wonderfully surprised and was like oh my gosh this is one of the best soups i've had in a long time and it was just a really delicious thing the first time i ever had tofu stew i went with um the girl who ate everything she had a blog in new york uh, Mm -hmm. robin lee and she took me to a place in koreatown in new york and i don't think i was prepared for it like i don't think the texture of it like mm-hmm. I don't think I was able to wrap my head around it, but I think now like I get more like because I cook with tofu more, but I still don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a lot of experience having a tofu stew. Mm-hmm. But it, is it the texture that you like it? Like is it kind of the creaminess, but like the sort sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's a little bit creamy, and they like put an egg in it usually. I just love the flavor of like the chili broth that they mm-hmm. use. It's definitely chili, but it's not like overtly spicy. Mm-hmm. I don't think um, it definitely has some like sort of bean paste in it. So it has a saltiness to it that is like more nuanced than just adding salt in a soup. Um, and it's also very fun when it comes to the table and it's still like boiling. Although maybe now since I've burned myself. Yeah, I was going to say, don't put it in an insulated mug because you'll be in I'll trouble. I'll do it in a different way. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's, you know, it's like fajitas. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so the, the, the presentation. Of- mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I used to go to a Chinese restaurant called the Palace of Wong on Long Island. And they had a dish that I would beg my parents to let me get because it was called the sizzling go bar. I don't know, know what that means, but it was like a big platter of sizzling vegetables and it would come out and I loved yeah. the way it sizzled. So I'm all about that. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being on my podcast again. And when I reinvent it in another year to another concept, I hope you'll come back and talk to me again. I will anytime. All right. Well, I hope you feel better and keep eating, keep snacking. And I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. Bye. 
All right, thanks for listening to this week's episode of You've Got to Taste This. If you want the recipe for Silesian Heaven crispy pierogi, the one that we talked about that Nicole sent me that blew everybody away, I'm going to put it on my food blog, amateurgourmet.com. Or if you'd rather get it in email, sign up for my newsletter at amateurgourmet.substack.com. And you can even see images of me making it on my Instagram at amateurgourmet. And if you end up making this recipe, which I really hope you do because it's so good, be sure to tag me so I can see it and share it with the whole world at Amateur Gourmet. All right, we'll see you back here next week. Bye.